0: Welcome to the Valley of Our Community Church podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our all-church study, Anchored. This anchor of hope is the certainty and the promise that God is who He says He is, and that God will do what He said He will do. What God does for us is grounded in who God is, and knowing who God is provides an anchor in life, giving us a secure foundation on which to build our lives. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, listen, we're in the middle of this series that uh, we are called Anchored and and hopefully you have been able to pick up a copy of the Anchored book. If you don't have one, you can download one from our website. We want to encourage you to do that, whether you're at our online campus or, or here in the building. We would love for you to take part in this study. You can do it in a life group with a group of others, or you can do it even on your own. So we just want to encourage you to do so. And in this series, we're talking about the attributes of God. And today, we're going to talk about the truth that God is our creator. And we're going to look at what that means to us and what is so important about that. Uh, Astronomer Spike Bessaris writes this, he says, evolutionists like to claim that our sun in the solar system is merely an average star, just one among billions of stars. There's no reason, they say, to believe our sun is unusual. After all, if our sun was, were special, that might support the idea of a benevolent creator one who created it for us. Nevertheless, though our sun is special indeed, stars come in a variety of sizes, colors, and temperatures, and as a single class G star, our sun is very well suited to support life on Earth. For example, about 75% of all the stars emit Flares, eruptions of superheated material radiation and charged particles blasted out into space. Large enough flares from those stars can actually sterilize life on the planets around them. And although our sun occasionally flares, uh, releases small flares, they're gentle compared to what we see elsewhere in the solar system. We've seen stars produce super flares up to 10 million times the energy that comes from the flares on our sun. Now, even among sun-like stars, our sun is unique. In a study of 83,000, that's amazing, 83,000 solar-type stars, 148 erupted in in just 120 days. Now, scientists say that if you extend that rate out, that would mean that there would be more than a 50% chance of having a a star erupt every 100 years. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but over thousands of years, a typical sun-like star then would have multiple massive eruptions basically neutralizing the planets around it. But the flares on our sun are thousands of times smaller. And uh, you have to ask yourself why. Well, uh, secular uh, astronomers scratch their head over this, but those astronomers that are creationists who believe that God created all this would grasp hold of what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 45. This is what he says. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. Amen? Yeah, amen. Praise God. You know, since our sun was designed by a masterful creator to support life, we shouldn't be surprised at how well it supports life. Our earth, our sun, our solar system are fearfully and wonderfully created by our God, who is the creator of all things. So we have to then recognize that God has created our solar system, but he's also created everything that's on this earth, including you and me. So this morning, I want to go through a series of things. First, I want to talk about this, a reason for creation. And specifically, there are reasons why we can see that God created humans. And maybe the most important reason that God created humanity is this. He created us to bear his image, to be image bearers of God. Now, let's go back to the creation story in the book of Genesis chapter 1. We read this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So you and I were created... In the image of God. Not not that God has a physical body because the body means that we're created to be different from the rest of creation. God made humans different from animals. And we see that in the fact that He gave us authority over all of the animals that He created. We see that he created us with an intellect and he gave us the freedom to choose. Now, for instance, think about this. In the story of creation, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, God says. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, notice that. God says you must not eat from it. But we understand then there is a choice to obey the command or, or, or disobey God, God and His command about this. Think about that. God has given us the ability to choose. Being made in the image of God means that we've been given that freedom, that autonomy. We also recognize that God created us different than the animals because He gives us a conscience. We, we can understand what's right and wrong, But then we also have that freedom, again, to choose what is right or wrong. We also recognize that God created us as social beings, people who were created to be in relationship with others, like we see that God is also in relationship with others. I I always marvel when I read those passages, those verses that we just read from Genesis chapter 1, because when you read them, you may have noticed it, it uses the first-person plural pronouns. God says, let us make humankind in our, in our image. And those first-person plural pronouns. So we say, well, who is God in relationship? What is, who is he talking about? We understand that he's talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is relational. So God created us to be in relationship with one another and also with him. Yeah, yeah, praise God. God's most important reason for creating us is to be his image bearers. But he also created us for other reasons. For instance, he created us to be caretakers. In the story of creation, in chapter 2, we read this, that God wrote, uh, said these things. He said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it and to take care of it. Now, I'm not going to say anything more about that right now. I'll come back to it later. But the big picture is this. Because God created us to be like him in our mental, moral, social, and spiritual capacities, we were given the rest of creation to oversee. Now, let's focus on an important reason for our creation. We were created to be in a relationship with our creator. Uh, Sometime after the creation, when the first people were living on the earth, we see God pursuing a relationship with humans. And this is what we read. This is in the third chapter of Genesis. And uh, as we read, this this is what it says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man where are you now i think we all immediately think well this is because they're disobedient they they have eaten from the tree that they were told not to eat from but but what it also tells us is god pursues humankind god wants to be in a relationship with them god chooses them he wants that relationship and they're hiding from him we know the reason why they're hiding they've been disobedient And the consequence for their disobedience is that they're banished from that garden and the immediate presence of God. But what does the rest of Scripture demonstrate to us? That God is on a continual pursuit of every single person, every single human being. He is continually pursuing His wayward creation. Now... God wants to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. He, he made the ultimate decision to make a way for each of us to know Him relationally once and for all. And the Apostle Paul describes this. I'm just going to read a short section of the first chapter of the book of Colossians that, that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, but listen to what he says. In sending Jesus, the Son of God, to earth, God the Father shows us that He will do whatever it takes to be in a relationship with each and every single human on this planet. He sacrificed His Son to pay the price for our sinful obedience once and for all, that sin that separates us from God. And and Jesus' death pays the price for that if, if, we will say, yes, I need that forgiveness for my sins. I accept Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for my sin. And it's this action on our behalf that demands that we, the creations, respond to God. So let's look and what our response should be with. Let's look at what the Bible teaches us our response should be. Now, obviously, God's given us freedom to make choices, and so we have a choice to respond. We have a choice to do any of these things that I'm going to tell you the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do, and we're going to look at it strictly from a biblical point of view, but we have that choice. Now, my pre- Supposition is that we're all going to say yes to every one of these choices, but I will tell you, it is your choice. And I encourage you, as unique individual creations of God, to respond yes to each one of these choices. Let's look at the first one. Our first response should be to respond with faith in our Creator. Uh, Jennifer Fullweiler grew up in a, a loving family, but one in which religion was painted as clearly false. Jennifer says that she never remembers a time when she believed in God as a child. Never. Raised on a diet of science, reason, and evidence-based rational thought, her bedtime reading with her father was Carl Sagan's astronomy book, Cosmos. From a young age, she knew that the world ran according to a well-established set of natural laws and that science was the de facto way of understanding everything. Jennifer remained, she writes, a happy atheist as an adult until the early years of her marriage. And it was shortly after the birth of her first child, she said she experienced a dramatic shift in her thinking and she understood that the God of the universe and the God of creation could actually bring together both creation and science. And this is what she wrote. She said, I, I looked down and I thought, as I looked at my first child, what is this baby? She says, and I thought, well, from a pure atheist point of view from a pure atheist and materialistic perspective. He's just a randomly evolved collection of chemical reactions. And I realized if that's true, then all the love that I feel for him is nothing more than a chemical reaction in my brain. And she said, I looked down at my child and I thought, that's not true. That is not the truth. This is more than a chemical reaction. And so at at that moment, she had a turning point in her life, one in which she would, she would eventually turn to Christ as her Savior. Something had clicked in her mind. She understood the scientific explanations, but she also knew that there was something more, something greater out there. And it was the God of the universe who created everything, including science. And she understood that this God loved her and had created that child And she understood that love for a first time. And she put her trust in Jesus and became a follower of him. As a follower of Jesus himself, the Apostle John was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote the gospel that has his name. And in it, he explains how our creator wants every single human being on the earth to make a decision to believe. In Him. So let me start. This is from Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, there's an important understanding here. You don't become a child of God just by being born and coming into the world. God creates all of us. God knits every single human being together in their mother's womb. The Bible tells us that. But becoming a child of God happens when we believe in Jesus. And believing in Him is not just intellectual assent, okay? It's not just saying, oh, yeah, I believe in Him. Like I believe that my car is going to start when I turn the key. It's more than intellectual assent. It's saying, I believe in him and I'm going to follow him. And so, in the Gospel of John, we read this, that those who did receive Jesus, who believed in him and who followed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So, believing in Jesus means following him. And that's the first way that that God wants every single person on this earth to respond to their Creator. Here's the second way He wants us to respond He wants us to worship the Creator. Uh, I, I really uh, love this insight that I read from Richard Tatum, and then he writes this. He said, my wife and I recently went on vacation, and it's our habit to bring along a camera. And so we did, and we took all kinds of pictures. And on the return, my wife was proudly showing off some of the latest set of vacation photos. And with each day that she would share them with her coworkers, she would come back and tell her husband about them. And, and he noticed there was a recurring theme in everybody's response. And it was, wow, your husband must have a really great camera. And he said, you know, even though people like my photos, I got to admit, I was disappointed because I I wanted them to acknowledge that I was a good photographer, uh, that it's not just because I have a good camera. And he goes on and he says, you know, uh, um, uh, after a week of this, I, I went on a rant with my wife and I said, why are people saying this? When they, when they look at a painting, they don't say, wow, what kind of brushes did they use? Uh, when they look at a skyscraper, they don't say, well, what kind of drafting material did they use? When they l- look at a sculpture, they don't say, well, wow, what kind of chisel did they use? What's wrong with these people? I ranted my wife. She said, I, he said, I felt good to get it off my chest. And so my wife reminded me by saying, So how often do you look at the creation and say, nice work, God? How often do we do that? You know, we we take it for granted that this earth and everything in it we've been blessed with to live on. And and the beauty that it beholds was made by God. and, And we take for granted that God has done an amazing job. One that we could not fathom on our own. And we don't worship him for being the creator of it all. But in the book of Revelation, we actually see evidence of of people worshiping the creator for what he has done. In the book of Revelation chapter 4, we read these words. These are the elders gathered around the throne of God in heaven, and they're worshiping him. And these are the words they worshiped him with. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. How often do we say, God, you are worthy of all the glory and honor and power because you've created all things? But we need to on a daily basis. They're worshiping the Creator. They're acknowledging that He's made everything and that they're giving praise for them and we should do the same thing. Now, look, I know that as you, those of you who drove to our campus today, you saw the beauty of creation in the fall leaves. And I encourage you today, whether you're with us online or whether you're in the building, to to take a walk, to take a drive. and, And on that walk or that drive, just acknowledge What God has done, give him the glory. Give him the honor. Give him the praise for what he has done and what he's doing in our midst. That's the second way we are called to respond. First, believe. Second, worship. The final way that we're called to respond, and we see this throughout Scripture, is that we're supposed to respond with being stewards of what our Creator has made. Now, to to be a steward just means to be a manager, to to oversee what you've been entrusted with. Now, I said I would come back to this uh, earlier in this message because we know that God created humans, and in Scripture it tells us that He told us to take care of the creation. The Bible makes it very clear that God has blessed us with many things, and He makes it clear that we're supposed to be good stewards good managers, good overseers of what we've been blessed with. The Apostle Peter understood this, and he wrote in his letter these words. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Now, I understand that passage is talking about the spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us to use in ministry for the glory of God and to build up other followers of Jesus and the church. But we can extrapolate from that that that. If God has given us good gifts, and we also read that in Scripture, that every good gift comes down from heaven from our Father, that we need to recognize that and and take care of what He's given us. We're not stretching things to understand that. We understand that He's given us that. We see that command in the book of Genesis. Now, this stewardship obviously means taking care of the environment, but it also means taking care of animals and humans and relationships and, and everything else that we've been blessed with and that God has created. I appreciate the words of, of Jonathan Merritt. Uh, he, he writes this, the, the message that reverberates through culture today is that we're supposed to, to go green because uh, we, if we do that, we'll look better, we'll, uh, we'll feel better, we'll fit in. But, but listen, for followers of Christ, he writes We have a a stronger reason to go green. He said, we serve the creator of the planet. He created the earth and he took the time to tell us his plan for it. And part of his plan is that we would take care of it. The God of the universe has given us the great task of caring for our planet. We have, he writes, an operating manual in the Bible that tells us right up front that we're supposed to take care of it. Now, unfortunately, in, in our culture today, uh, the care and stewardship of our planet sometimes gets politicized. But, but if we go back to the beginning, it's a biblical concept that we're supposed to take care of everything that has been entrusted to us. Everything. The things that we possess as that we would say our own, but let's be honest, they're only ours while we're on this earth. But the other things that he's commanded us to take care of from the very beginning of time. The care and stewardship of our planet and everything in it is a biblical issue. So as followers of Christ, our stewardship of the creation has been put in our hands. And it's a response that we're supposed to give to our creator. We're supposed to believe in him, to worship him, and take care of what he's entrusted to us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, how will you respond to him? How will you respond to his command to believe in him, to worship him, and to take care of what he's given you? You know, as we study the attributes of God in this series, we see that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. And and that's the hope that we are anchored in our faith, that, that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he will do. And then he asked for us to respond. So we need to respond. We need to take care of what he's placed into our hands into our lives. We also need to respond by worshiping the one that has created everything around us. Take time to pay attention to it. Do whatever it takes to acknowledge the creator. And of course, most importantly, we need to believe. So I want to move into a time of prayer, and in this prayer time, if you've never decided to believe in and follow Jesus, or maybe you've just given intellectual assent to believing in Jesus, but you've actually not put your life behind following Him, I want you to do that today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and get ready for our closing song, but but as I go into this prayer time, I want all of us to, to consciously think about this. So I'm going to start off, quite honestly, with a prayer of confession that we haven't believed we haven't worshiped we haven't taken care of what we've been given and that will be a time for us all to say yes lord we we repent and then i'm going to move into a time of praise but i'm also going to give anyone who wants the opportunity to respond in faith to god and begin following him today so wherever you are if you would bow your heads and let's pray god as we look at the attribute that you are creator we have to confess that we have not always honored you. We have not responded to you as the word tells us to respond. We have not taken care of what you've entrusted to us. We have not worshipped you for all that you have created. And we haven't believed and followed you like we should. So Lord, we confess that. We repent. And we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we do worship you. We worship you as the creator of all things. We worship you that you are the the Father who gives us all good gifts, and we praise you for those good gifts. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us remember all that you have given us and that we would worship you regularly because of that. And Father, we do respond in faith. And we will take care of what you've given us. And Lord, recognizing there may be somebody who's never said they believe in you and want to follow you, I want to give them the opportunity right now just to pray. So wherever you are, you can just pray these words silently back to God. God, I believe in you. I believe you sent Jesus to pay for my sins. I accept his forgiveness. And I praise you that you rose, raised him from the dead. And now today, I want to believe by following him all the days of my life. And so, Lord, we praise you and give you thanks for everyone who has just prayed that prayer. We praise you that you have created us. We praise you that you have made all things. We worship you and we adore you and we promise to follow you and take care of this creation